welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, known today as the Stockbridge Muncie community. I'm Bria Barthel. Kaylin McPherson, today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Tuesday, November 7th is Election Day, so this episode begins with Ginny O'Brien, co-chair of the Rensselaer County Women's for Change, talking with Mark Dunley about the group's endorsements in this year's election. Then Moses Nagel reports on why Saratoga Democrats, Black Lives Matters, and other con- others condemned a recent mailing by James Montanino, the current public safety commissioner and candidate. Later on, we bring a story from our archives with Latham resident Maria Gordet talking with producer Joe Ritchie about her experiences with the Norlite plant as well as what she's done with the grassroots group Lights Out Norlite. After that, our own Cena Bazilla Hickey talks with Susan Jadlows about her upcoming exhibition of photographs, a book, and uh, collage at Collar Cities, Mushrooms, and the opening reception to be held this Saturday, November 11th, from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. Finally, Hudson, uh, finally, Hugh Johnson is back t- to talk about the weather and climate, this time looking at an unusual extra-tropical storm in Europe, an extraordinary heat this past October, and a forecast of weeks' weather. Those stories, but first, here are the headlines. The Times Union reports that the state's Opioid Advisory Board has released its second annual report, once again urging Governor Hochul to fund safe injection sites, a request she has long indicated she is unlikely to support. The Opioid Settlement Fund Advisory Board is charged with recommending where billions of dollars from pharmaceutical companies should go to best combat addiction and overdose rates. Consumer groups are urging the State Public Service Commission, or PSC, to reject the Central Huston's request for a $30 per month hike in utility bills. The Public Utility Law Project pointed out that the Central Hudson remains under investigation by the PSC regarding bill errors dating back over a year. Central Hudson cites increasing, uh, increased costs from meeting new requirements to provide greener energy. Local apple orchards are facing financial difficulties from a devastating early May frost that killed many apples, as well as lower-than-expected turnout during apple picking season due to many rainy weekends. According to an investigation by Dartmouth College and the University College London, one in seven Americans had long COVID by the end of 2022. In long COVID, symptoms of the virus persist for more than three months after the initial infection. Those symptoms typically include extreme fatigue, breathlessness, muscle weakness, and cognitive dysfunction or brain fog. Securus Technology, the national company that provides phone service to prisons, including thousands of inmates in New York State prisons, is facing multiple lawsuits alleging that its recording and transcribing of phone calls includes calls between inmates and their lawyers, in violation of attorney-client confidentiality privileges. A recent poll by the New York Times and Siena College shows Trump ahead of Biden in the states of Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and Pennsylvania, five of six swing states that determine the election. 
Biden is currently polling ahead in the sixth battleground state of Wisconsin, but only with 2% lead. Meanwhile, Trump testified Monday, November 6th, in his civil fraud trial in New York City. And a reminder, this Tuesday, November 7th, is Election Day. If you are registered and have not voted early or by absentee ballot, you can find where to vote, plus get a list of candidates and propositions on your ballot at voterlookup.elections.ny.gov. Polls are open 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. Speaking of the election, in Troy, at least five of the city council seats and possibly all seven seats, depending on upon the election results, will have new people to the position. For past episodes of the Hudson Mohawk, interviews with some of those candidates and people seeking other positions, see the Election Watch 2023 link on our website at mediasanctuary.org. And college students take note. The application for the New York State Tuition Assistance Program is now open for the 2024 to 2025 school year. And that's that's it. it for the headlines. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute your time, talents, or financial support, see the donate button at mediasanctuary.org. Email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org, or you can call us at 518-272-2390. Now to our first story. As part of our election coverage, Mark Dunley brings us an interview with Ginny O'Brien, co-chair of the Rensselaer County Women for Change, about the group's endorsements in Rensselaer elections. We're talking with Ginny O'Brien, who is a co-chair of the Rensselaer County uh, Women for Change. And uh, among other things, they endorse various candidates for office. Um, particularly Windsor County, and we'll be talking about that. But uh, Jenny, why don't you just give people a little background? You know, what is uh, the purpose of Windsor County Women for Change? Oh, absolutely. I'm so happy to have this opportunity. Um, Rensselaer County Women for Change, honestly, I believe is a bit of a misnomer because it's not just for women. It's for residents of Rensselaer County. We um, formed as a group of positive and determined residents of the county. And our main goal is to fight the pervasive corruption that unfortunately has become a hallmark in our county. So we um, are looking for candidates and we want to support candidates that are honest, have integrity, and um, you know, will fight for environmental just- justice, uh, voting rights, and help those of our brothers and sisters that are in need. So that's our goal. Now, Troy, of course, is the, um, I guess, biggest city uh, in the county. And it's also unusual in that it is one of the few cities where both parties are politically viable and, you know, have a chance to win in elections. So, you know, what what is Minnesota County Women for Change doing in terms of some of the various uh, races in the city of Troy this year? Sure. Um, We have endorsed actually three people that are running in the city of Troy. Two are running citywide, and that would be Nina Nichols for mayor and Sue Steele for council president. And we also endorsed Tiffany Silverman, and she's running for a position on the city council for District 5. 
And what, you know, what are some of the key issues that, you know, Rensselaer County Women for Change thinks the city of Troy, you know, should be, you know, addressing or working on and, and how do the candidates you and to us, you know, reflect those concerns? Well, I think that all three of the people that we endorsed in the city um, have similar goals in terms of they all are looking for a safer community. Um, you know, Troy, like most other cities, has had a chair of violence, gun violence in particular. And so they're looking to address that issue, um, less guns availability, that kind of thing. Also, um, all three are definitely looking to have a cleaner environment. And part of that would be addressing the lead pipe um, issue that has come up in the city of Troy. And uh, all three candidates did express their interest in working you know, in a proactive manner to address those issues for homeowners. And uh, also uh, another hallmark, uh, particularly of Nina Nichols' campaign is to have a greener Troy. Her, her, her logo is safer, cleaner, and greener. And the greener part is to uh, you know, remove more of the waste and gas emissions that are in our environment right now. And it goes along with the, the lead pipes and have more uh, composting done and, you know, re reduce the waste stream in, in the county, in particular the city that she would be um, the mayor of. So those are goals. And, and interestingly enough, the three women that we did endorse um, all seem to, you know, uh, are supporting those efforts as well. And I think as a team, we can hope that they will achieve those goals. Now, one, one issue that a lot of uh, Troy residents and, and residents throughout the capital just, you know, are concerned about is the issue of, um, uh, you know, a, a, a police and, you know, everybody wants to feel secure in their homes. Everybody wants a police force that, you know, is responsive to the community and, you know, probably do a better <clears throat> job of dealing with mental health and, and poverty issues as, you know, right. but, you know, has Rensselaer County for Women for Change that all address sort of, um, you know, what type of police changes might be good for the city of Troy or even in the county? We have not as a group addressed that, but candidates certainly um, are looking to address those issues and to make it a safer environment for all residents. And perhaps, you know, one way to do that um, is to look um, for opportunities to have, to have more um, different like police officers that would be in the neighborhood. The working with the police, you know, not in an adversarial role, that's important to all three of our candidates because they see the value of the police. But I think, um, unfortunately, there's been some, well, we see it at a national level too, where there seems to be a dichotomy between the police and the residents. They, they're not working together. It's almost an oppositional kind of approach. And I think all three of the candidates are looking to have the police force uh, be fair to both to everyone and in the city, and to work for all the residents of the city on their behalf. Now, what are some of the other races, uh, you know, throughout the county, 
um, which uh, your group has taken a position in? Uh, we have several. Um, Mary Frances Sabo is running for town board in the town of North Greenbush. She had served there for one term and um, then lost an election, but she's she's back again. And we certainly are supporting Mary Frances because she also has worked um, on the, the plan um, for plan development in the town of North Greenbush, which is really kind of busting at the seams right now with uh, um, so much traffic and businesses coming in. And she wants to have a, a planned development approach. Um, she's also tried to have electric vehicle um, charging stations within the town. So that's important. Um, and also to improve the parks. Uh, a new candidate that we are endorsing also is Samantha Phillips. And she's running for a vacancy that exists now on the Rensselaer County Legislature in District 4. And that district encompasses Nassau and Skodak and Sand Lake. So um, the enrollment certainly is not in her favor in that, in that district, but Sam Phillips brings so much experience to the position. She particularly has a background in um, emergency services. Uh, she's worked with FEMA. She's worked with two governors, um, one in Pennsylvania and one Charlie Baker in Massachusetts. So she's worked kind of on both sides of the aisle, you know, very much a bipartisan approach. And uh, she's worked very hard and we certainly are hopeful that she will be able to take that seat because she wants to work in, a, in much more of a bipartisan fashion with, which, with the legislature. And also we endorse Jack Conway Jack is the supervisor currently in East Greenbush running for another term. And Jack has certainly been um, at the forefront of development in East Greenbush. And again, in a planned um, sort of way where um, not just you know going crazy and putting development in where it shouldn't belong, but looking carefully. And also he's been very much involved with bringing various neighborhoods together in, in the community. It's a very popular candidate, works in a bipartisan fashion, and we're hoping that he will be successful once again as a supervisor. Well, uh, and actually, I was at a press conference a while back where I at least had a big banner for Mr. County Women for Change, but that was also on, uh, Jack has been very concerned and I guess wants to shut down the uh, Dunn landfill in Rensselaer, but which borders his town. Yes, very much so. And he has spoken out at several public hearings. And in fact, I think the, uh, res the town of East Greenbush has passed a resolution showing their opposition to it. And actually, that is one of, that is something that we as Rensselaer County Women for Change have spoken about and spoken out about on several occasions, most recently this past summer when they had a hearing, uh, I think it was in August, they had two hearings, right. and I think a very we, inopportune we, time. We only have 30 seconds left. Oh, uh, we've I'm been sorry. talking to Ginny O'Brien, Rensselaer County Women for Change. You can check their Facebook. Any closing message? Well, um, I think we as a, a committee have endorsed excellent candidates, and I just hope that everyone will take a look at them and consider them. And this has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk.
Thanks to Mark for that report. As noted earlier, interviews with candidates in Troy and beyond can be found on our website at electionwatch2023 link. Now to another election story. Shifting to Saratoga, Moses Nagel brings us this piece on concerns by Democrats, Black Lives Matter, and others regarding a recent mailing by the incumbent Public Safety Commissioner James Montanino. In the contentious race for Public Safety Commissioner of Saratoga Springs, Democrat Jim Montanino is running against Kristen Dart, who appears on the ballot under the Independent Community First line. However, following a postcard sent out from the Montanino campaign, the Saratoga Democratic Committee held a press conference Monday morning to condemn the Democratic candidate. I'm Otis Maxwell, I'm chair of the Saratoga Springs Democratic Committee. We're standing outside the Saratoga Springs City Center where I and hundreds of other people will be voting tomorrow. This week, many Saratogian voters received an abhorrent racist mailing targeting Kristen Dart. The postcard was marked as paid for by friends of Jen Montanino. I can speak for most of our committee members in saying we are appalled by this mailing and dismayed that our contribution made in good faith to the Montanino campaign might have helped fund it. It is antithetical the harmony with one another, which we cherish as Democrats. It's especially concerning to people of color and anyone who feels marginalized in our community. I've asked Mr. Montanino to repudiate this mailing, apologize to Ms. Dart, and return the $1,000 contribution we made to his campaign. The postcard linked Dart with Saratoga BLM and accused the group of holding a pro-Hamas rally in the city and of being, quote, disheartened by the recent verdict exonerating city police officers in the wrongful death suit brought by the family of Daryl Mount, Kristen Dart. I want to be clear that that mailer made it so that we raise this idea that black people are nothing but angry. That's what that mailer did, and that's why it's racist. It lifted up the tropes that black people cannot be fully human and express their emotions. And I want to say clearly today that I believe what Hamas did was an act of terrorism, and I also believe that the government of Israel blocking humanitarian aid is a violation of international law and also inhumane. Yep. As a person, I believe in people's humanity first and foremost. And no matter what happens tomorrow, I will continue to stand in the face of injustice in my community, in this country, and around the world, because that's who I was raised to be, and I believe that this is who this community and this country can be. That's right. Mr. Montanino also attended the rally. He did not make a public statement, but was clear in speaking to reporters that he stood by his campaign mailer. The mailer is factually accurate. There's, there's nothing in there that isn't substantiated. Uh, the Daily Gazette reported that Kristen Dart is sympathetic with the ideology of Saratoga BLM. And the events of the last couple of weeks, coupled with the events of the last nine months, show the true nature of Saratoga BLM. After the verdict in the Darrell Mount case, instead of accepting the fact that two and a half weeks of trial showed that the police department did not attack Darrell Mount, that it was a tragic accident, instead of saying that, 
they just fanned the flames of discord by saying that they were devastated by the verdict to two days after the Darrell Mount verdict to have a rally in front of City Hall that waved Palestinian flags, chanted from the river to the sea. It, it just flies in the face of the message that they claim to, to be making, which is one of harmony and diversity and, and equity and inclusion. It's, it's race hustling, it's fomenting discord. We could have used the Darrell Mount verdict, and we should have used the Darrell Mount verdict as the final chapter in a 10-year-long saga where we ultimately understood that it was only a tragic accident and there was no police misconduct, but instead that narrative has just continued. Following the Democratic Committee, members of Saratoga Black Lives Matter came to the podium. They began by reading a statement of their position. Saratoga Black Lives Matter joins with millions across the globe to call for an immediate ceasefire and humanitarian aid to the people in Gaza. At this very moment, there are hundreds of thousands of people in this country and beyond advocating for the Palestinian people who have been stripped of their humanity and forcefully disconnected from the entire world. Our organization recognizes the importance of using your platform to uplift the voices of the most oppressed people. And we are proud to say that we created a space for Palestinian, Israeli, Jewish, and Muslim people to take to the mic and share their stories with the people of Saratoga Springs. We ended the night with an interfaith prayer and vigil for people to reflect, mourn, and pray for a better world. That is why we were shocked and disgusted to discover that the campaign of Jim Montanino sent a postcard to voters across Saratoga Springs, which states that, quote, Saratoga BLM also recently hosted a pro-Hamas rally outside City Hall. Not only is this statement false, but it is a reckless and disturbing use of his platform and his campaign to exploit the deaths and suffering of thousands of people for the sake of personal and political gain. Next to the vilification of our group through race-baiting pictures and false connections to terrorism, it is stated that, quote, Saratoga BLM was disheartened by the unanimous jury verdict exonerating the Saratoga Springs Police Department in the Darrell Mount case. Contrary to the assumptions of many, Saratoga BLM is composed of real people, each with our own emotions, empathy, and a deep concern for the well-being of our community. We were deeply disheartened by the outcome, and it wasn't because of a deep-rooted hatred for the Saratoga Springs Police Department, but because we are empathetic to the pain and suffering experienced by the family of a young man who lost his life. In a time of crisis, we must call for empathy, justice, and a genuine commitment to peace for all people, not just a few. Any public official who fails to recognize this is unfit to represent the people of Saratoga Springs. Next, one of the group's founders, Lex Figueroa, spoke. For those, including some Democrats who are surprised by Jim's actions, I ask why and how are you surprised? This man has been blowing dog whistles since the day that he stepped in office. He has used Saratoga BLM as a pawn in his election then and now as well. We refuse to continue to be pawns used for political gain. We have families. We have people who care about us. We have people to take care of. This man is supposed to be in charge of public safety. 
We are the public, and he is not keeping us safe. He is not worthy of being public safety commissioner or any seat inside our city. I ask the people of Saratoga Springs to condemn and not vote for Jim Montanino for anything ever again. He is not a leader in our city. He is not building bridges in our city. He is causing a divide in our city. What he is causing is hate. Saying that we had an event for terrorists when a lot of people in the city and otherwise like to call us terrorists already, it's dangerous. It's dangerous for my children. It's dangerous for our families. Dangerous for our friends and our community members. When we fight for racial justice and justice in our police, we fight for our community. That's everybody within our community. Let's also make sure that's known. We said that a million times. We don't just fight for black people. We fight for poor white people. We fight for the underprivileged. We fight for those who don't have a voice. Those who are not willing to put their lives on the line like we do and a reputation on the line as we do. That takes courage. What Jim did is a coward. We say no more. Not in our watch and not in our die. It states that it's a pro-Hamas rally, but um, just to be clear, what rally was it for? Let me, make it, let me make it clear one more time. Saratoga Black Lives Matter and our supporters have never had an event for Hamas. What we had an event for was the end of the murder and suffering of children, mothers, fathers, uncles, brothers and sisters, family members, human beings who are being wiped out. We are in one to fight to the end of a genocide. And we will continue speaking out for the end of the genocide of a people. We will continue to speak against the backing of the U.S. funds to fund a genocide of a people. That's it. Is that clear? I want to make sure. Ceasefire. Humanitarian aid. Peace. Peace. No war. On Tuesday, Saratoga Springs will elect a mayor as well as public safety commissioner. Reporting for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, this is Moses Nagel. Thanks to Moses Nagel for his continued reporting on the issue. For more election coverage, including a segment on October 11th forum with all three candidates for Saratoga Public Safety Commissioner, see the Election Watch 2020 link on our website, mediasanctuary.org. Let's make that Election Watch 2023. Kaylin got a little bit caught in a time warp there. For those just tuning in, I'm Bria Barthel. And I'm Kale McPherson. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, at WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by joining our team or just by telling a friend and getting them to listen. Sharing is caring. Find today's stories and much more at mediasanctuary.org. November is National cancer awareness month so we bring you this 2021 story from the arc our archives about opposition to the norlite incinerator plant 
The admissions from the incinerator have been linked to the increased risk of cancer and asthma among nearby residents. What city are you a resident of? Hi, I live in the town of Latham, which is in Colony. And what do you do as your profession? So I started a business in 1999 called Big Mind Learning. It's a tutoring business. And before that, I worked in the um, city district, city school district of Schenectady as a tutor. Awesome. And have you, do you think that your business has had like a long-lasting community impact positively for the community? Yeah, I really do think so. The parents pass me from one family to the next and talk a lot uh, about it. I've also done quite a lot of work in Cohoes. I work with children. I work with um, junior high school and high school kids. But in Cohoes, I worked with senior citizens. So I worked at the library teaching memoir workshops. And I also worked at the senior center for a few years teaching memoir workshops. So it's kind of a little bit of variety what I do. Awesome. You know, that sounds really great. And it's really good to have like that kind of resource for community members to to access. So that's really awesome. How long have you lived in this community for? We moved here in 1993, so quite a long time. Great. No, that's always awesome to hear. So my first question about Norlight is, how did you hear about Norlight? Oh dear. We heard about Norlight when a volunteer well, or something like that, came to our house one evening from the Community Environmental Coalition. That is a, um, that's an organization that I don't believe is here anymore. Since you've heard of all these different things in regards to the Norlite Hazardous Waste Incinerator, what are some of the things that you've done to combat this type of facility that's been polluting our community for decades? Well, I'm part of the group called Lights Out Norlight, and we figure out strategies to combat the hazardous waste incinerator, and um, we, we've held different actions. A couple of actions that I've been part of are sort of lighting up the streets at Cahoe's Eats, I, I believe it's called Eat, Eat on the Street, on Friday, where we held our sign, Lights Out Norlight, okay? And, and also one of the thing, we, we decided to plant sunflowers at Saratoga sites. The community, the apartments most directly connected closely, a, a hundred feet away from Norlight. And we planted sunflowers there because they take up toxicity in the soil and in their leaves. So we decided to do that. No, that's really awesome. And, you know, when you were doing these types of events, what are some of the emotions that kind of went through you? Um, were you happy or sad that you're doing this? And sad only because of just thinking about, you know, obviously Norlight's been there forever and nothing's been really done about them. But, you know, what are some of the emotions that, as an activist, go through you as you are doing these types of events? I am extremely upset about Norlight. I'm enraged, and I have been for many years. It should not be in a residential community. It shouldn't be near a daycare center. It shouldn't be near a set of apartments. It shouldn't be here near a water supply. It absolutely should not be here. So when I do the 
activism, when I get involved in some activities, I feel slightly better because when you're not passive and you're active, you your mood improves. But I am out and out enraged about the concept of wealth before health, especially because Norlite is owned by an international company that we have no connection with at all. It's a Spanish company. Great. And what does the word Norlite mean to you? I don't know why they named it that, so I have to plead ignorance about that. But it's, it's a terrible place. It's, it's giving off noise pollution constantly, silica pollution so that people close by are in danger of silicosis and maybe worse diseases, and the forever chemicals that are deposited in the air and in the soil are a tragedy. It's a major tragedy in our community. Yeah, and so when you talk about the Lights Out Norlight organization, do you have any plans on how you can spread the word about Lights Out Norlight to your friends, family, or neighbors? Well, we we definitely need to increase our social media presence because that would be the way to go. But we do spread the news through um, alarming flyers that we put in people's mailboxes in our community. We have 40 homes in our community, and then a connecting community has, has about 50 homes. So that's one way that we do it. We talk about it a lot, and I write about it, actually. Yeah, so, and I think that's great. And, you know, just talk a little bit about your writing. Uh, I've seen some of it before, but how does, you know, Norlight get you inspired to write pieces? Well, I, I'm going to, I, I have some interest in transitioning over to being an environmental journalist. And this is an environmental justice issue because Saratoga Sites has been named an environmental justice community. So I'm very interested in investigating sites around the country that are these kinds of sites. I've, I've followed them for years with um, organizations like Earth Justice and Friends of the Earth and the Sierra Club, and we fought years ago fracking in New York State, so I was part of that campaign for about three years, from the very beginning of it to the very end, the anti-fracking campaign in New York State. So Norlight is my campaign of the moment, and some of us have high hopes that it will be closed permanently. Great. And um, I've been asking local residents this question before because I think it's it's really interesting. Norlight recently went out door-to-door to residents around Saratoga sites and in Cohoes, and they also sent out a letter to people in Cohoes uh, just stating, you know, we're important for the community and that we've done a really good job in the past of keeping this area clean. Do you think Norlight has the best interests of Capital Region citizens in their heart? No, of course not. No, it absolutely doesn't. And I received that letter because my mailing address is Cohoes. So I read it carefully, and, and that's absolutely right. They were singing the praises of, of, of their facility, and it's absolutely wrong. We know that, especially for two years, I believe it is, they were burning um, AFFF, which is firefighting foam, probably the second most toxic um, chemical on earth 
And, I mean, it's just terrifying to me what they've done. And they absolutely should be closed. So if you were to speak with Mayor Keeler or Basil Sagos, those who have the power to really shut this facility down, what would you say to them? What would be your pitch to shut Norlite down? I honestly believe that there's power in numbers in this country. And so I, I think we need the power of community members to come together so that we can say to Basil Sagos or Mayor Keeler that we have this number of community residents inc incredibly angry, quite enraged about this facility of burning hazardous waste in our community, and you have to do something about it. No, they should not receive their renewal for the permit from the DEC, absolutely not. And that's what I should say. You should not burn hazardous waste in a residential community near a water supply. And quite frankly, I must tell you, I know somebody who worked there because I met him in Boston. He's the friend of my niece, a very dear friend of my niece. So I met him last year and he w had been working there until he left because he couldn't in good conscience continue working there. And that's exactly what he said. He said, a hazardous waste incinerator should not be placed in a residential community near a water supply. Awesome. That, thank you so much for, for talking to me today. It means so much to get just a community member's perspective about everything that's going on and also some of the things that you've done personally for this community, your contributions, which is, are greatly appreciated, and also just sounding the word on how important it is that how dangerous this facility is for all the people that I've talked to they've always said it's it's extremely dangerous so thank you for talking to me today thank you very much for interviewing me I'm pleased to help anything I can do to help would be great thanks Joe that was producer Joe Ritchie talking in 2021 with Latham resident Maria Gordet about her experiences with the Norlite incinerator in Cohoes and lights out Norlite and an opposition grassroots organization. In September 2023, the State Department of Health said that investigators could draw no conclusions about the health impacts that may be caused by the Norlite mine incinerator on the surrounding area. For updates on continued concerns, visit the website Lights Out Norlite, N O R L I T E dot O R G. Now we turn to the arts. Local Choi artist, photographer, and scientist Susan Jadlows will be exhibiting print, printed, print brick, brick printed, sewn items, and more in the upcoming exhibit at Color City Mushrooms. Let's hear Cena Bazil Hickey talking with Susan about the work. The city of Troy is filled with bricks and has a history that is very much formed around the brick making coming from this city. And artist Susan Jadlos is with me now, and a lot of her artwork looks at Troy Bricks. Welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So in front of me, you just gave me your book, which the cover and the back, they are meant to look like bricks. So bricks is very much a part of your artwork. Totally. What What is it about bricks? And could you explain to our listeners, what is it about your artwork that 
looks at bricks. Well, first of all, I wanted to say that that book is made, put together by Myra Darlow. She's a bookmaker friend. The images inside are all mine and the, and the words and the interviews. Um, what is it about me and bricks? Well, I grew up in South Troy, and as a child... I played, it was my alley. I had my alley. And it was also my lab. And I used to like bury coal and see if it was, dig it up and see if, what it was going to turn into. Um, and the orange walls, they just, they became my foundation. And they've always inspired me, particularly because of the work that went into it by the unsung heroes, the brick makers and the bricklayers. So you're interested in the labor aspect. Oh, one yeah. aspect of it. Yes, yes. Um, the labor aspect, um, I know from friends of mine who actually had grandparents and like who made bricks. And many, many people, uh, you know, it was actually like an experimental process and procedure then and got refined and became better and better. But a lot of people lost their lives doing that. And we don't, we don't think of that. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, I mean, the labor is, uh, it, it can't be measured. I mean, I respect it. Mm. You mentioned the color. You said orange, which is interesting because I would characterize it as red. And it is a important color in the landscape of Troy. And as a visual artist, as a photographer, it guides you through the city. How do you walk through Troy? I'm kind of just like pulled through Troy in a certain, I, I kind of um, relate to being a dowser and just kind of follow. Uh, I don't take a particular path. Um, I rarely have a destination when I walk through Troy. And my favorite area of Troy to walk is on Front Street right along the river. I just, that's, that's, that's my home to me. And now we have that nice long river walk. There's a good sense of quiet there. And I get to just to, you know, look at the river and the like, um, and the work. There's work going on there too, you know. So that's that's those are my favorite places to work. I mean, I know walk. I know that um, there, and I appreciate it. There enormous amount of um, beauty handcrafted. Uh, you know, I mean, the library is astonishing. You know, walking walking through Russell Sage, the the townhouses. You know, um, the Cluett Heart Museum. And sometimes having grown up here, I didn't realize what I was living in the midst of, you know, and having lived away and then coming back is what made all the difference. So you yeah. grew up in South Troy, you moved away, and it was only when you came back that you really appreciated it. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. It's, it was like uh, uh, being first when I was went to Paris the first time, and uh, you know when I came back and uh, you know was in Manhattan and looked at the buildings and everything is like oh gee you know, and and that's the experience that I have with uh, you know being in Troy. I mean they, you can see that there really were Dutch settlers here and how amazing that is, you know. I mean where I lived there, some of the winches were hanging off the building where they would like raise and lower you know, whatever it was that they were taking off the boats, you know, and we still have like um, barges going by and the like and tugboats, you know, just as a matter of course. It's kind of um, my favorite parts of Troy are where I can be contemplative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And is uh, photography a means of helping you to contemplate what you're seeing? And I'm looking through your, your book and there's a lot of details of corners of here's deteriorating iron over brick and the grapevines over it, over brick, um, the cracks in the brick, these unique different angles. How does photography help you to see Troy? Well, first of all, photography is like magic to me. And I'm pretty much of a, a very much of a shy person and an introvert. And somehow I think that if I have a camera in front of my face, nobody can really see me. So I'm free to do whatever I want and take any pictures that I want. And it's, it's real similar to looking through a microscope. We were talking about that earlier. Being in the lab and looking through a microscope and you see what's right in front of you. I don't particularly, uh, I certainly appreciate vistas, but I'm like, what's here? What's here right now? And, and this is the same as, you know, appreciating what we have right where we are. And Troy enables me, or my camera enables me to capture those, those thoughts and those meanings, I mean, feelings. I'm not particularly involved in um, lenses and all that. What, what strikes me and what I try to, ca or do capture actually, are feelings, you know, the sensibility. That's what's really most important to me, feelings. Is there a time of day when you prefer to photograph? I'm very much of a morning person, very much a morning. Typically, I'll be up at five, not running around in my house or anything like that. But, you know, it's that quiet time. Mm. Um, and, you know, if there's a time that I'm apt to go around and, you know, be snapping pictures, yeah, you know, it'll be the early morning. And um, the one exception is rainstorms, whenever there would be like these deluge rainstorms, because I really liked black, you know, heavy downpours hitting black pavement and just splashing and you just, you know, it's not a black and white photo that you wind up, but it sort of is, you know, um, and there's action and there's energy there. We were talking before about uh, the demolition site right next door to the old city hall when it was demolished. I loved going there um, during a rainstorm because they would have this caution tape, you know, the, the yellow caution tape, and it would be attached to fences, and, you know, the caution tape would just be flying, and I loved capturing that. Now, before we run out of time, you have an exhibition coming up at Collar City Mushrooms. What's your exhibition about, and what can visitors expect? Um, my exhibition is comprised of eight of my photographs that they're, um, they tell my story of Troy uh, pretty much parallels what we were talking about with, you know, what's right in front of you. Um, and they're a family. They're very much of a family together. And then there's some of my collage work and some of my brick fabric work. What's your exhibition about? Troy and how Troy is my family. You know, the whole sensibility of Troy and the process, you know, Troy is a process and it's in process. And that's why it's never boring to me at all. So, you know, it's Troy and it's my Troy family, my bricks, and I'm making chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> which I've always had a dream if I, I would want to have chocolate chip cookies. Um, and it's a gathering place, you know, and I look 
feel about it as, you know, a gathering, kind of like a coming home, and, and you know, in a, in a Troy with a, you know, a solid Troy background there. Yeah. And when is the exhibition opening? It's November 11th, 11, 11, 530 to 930. Um, I have Avery Stemple of Color City Mushrooms to thank for wanting to host my show. Um, and we were talking earlier, I tend to see Collar City Mushrooms as like um, Avery's like the main mushroom person of sorts. And then he's outreach, very much outreach and has, and, and he, it's like the mycelium, you know, and he has artwork there. He'll have musicians come and perform book reading, poetry and things like that. Um, so I'm happy to be part of that conglomerate. I love that. I love that. Susan Jadlos, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Do you have a website? No, I don't. I'm pretty much of an anonymous person. I do have um, an, an Instagram. I'm Susan Jadlos on Instagram. I don't try to be anonymous, but you know, now um, this is a kind of like a, a coming out for me as an artist and photographer. Yeah. Well, great. And I'm thrilled about that. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. That was Sina Bazilla Hickey talking with fellow Troy photographer Susan Jadlos about Susan's upcoming art exhibition at Collar City Mushrooms. An opening reception will be held this Saturday, November 11th, possibly 5 to 8 p.m. or possibly 5.30 to 9.30 p.m. The online information varies at 333 2nd Avenue in Troy. For more information, see Collar City Mushrooms, plural, Com. And now, joining us once again is retired National Weather Service meteorologist Hugh Johnson for our weekly discussion of weather and climate. Welcome back, Hugh. Hey, how are you doing? Good. So, how was your weekend? It, it was fine. Um, I, we, uh, of course, switched the clocks back, and I'm okay with that. Some people hate it. I actually am okay with it. The extra hour in the morning, actually. And we got to see a little sun on, sun, on the Sunday, so... And November is generally one of our cloudiest months, so it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind getting the extra hour, but I hate it being dark by five p.m. So, well, here's one comforting thought: uh, we're having good weather one... here, but I heard something about a storm in Europe that caused lots of damage. What's going on there? Well, there actually it already did. It happened over the weekend. A very powerful extra tropical storm, meaning that there was no. Uh, it was basically a cold core storm that had no tropical origin, but it, it progressed over warm Atlantic waters and exploded with winds over 118 miles an hour in northern France, causing near record wind speeds and all kinds of destruction uh, toll. The death toll is now, um, it's, it's in the double digits. It's, I think the last I heard was up to 60 or 16 rather, but, but it's climbing uh, and millions were without power. And a friend of mine on Facebook who lives in, in the Paris, now far from Paris, show was showing me pictures of it. It was pretty impressive. So, again, storms like this have happened before. They're not that atypical, but they're happening more and more and becoming more powerful. Again, we know why climate change and warmer ocean temperatures. 118-mile-an-hour winds? That's pretty fast. Yes. And that's not even a hurricane. I mean, not officially a hurricane. That's correct. I'm just speechless. Uh, how did uh, uh, 
so what then what makes a hurricane or what speed does a hurricane become a hurricane 75 miles an hour but it's also depends on the structure of the storm a hurricane is a warm core storm the, the core of the low is warm in a extra tropical storm it's cold that's very important uh, when, when they're classifying whether it's a tropical system versus an extratropical. When Hurricane Sandy hit, that was a problem because technically it became cold core just as it hit, but it still caused all kinds of damage. I think some people were confused by that. So that's the difference between an extratropical and a tropical storm. So thankfully the weather here has been a little better than that. How did October weather work out overall for us? It was sort of warm until halloween and then it really took a turn that is correct uh brie we had a our fourth warmest october on record 57.2 was the average compared to the normal about 51 so way above normal and it wasn't that long ago we had our warmest october which was a few tenths of a degree warmer and our our freeze was the third latest we ever had officially happening on halloween but that doesn't hold a candle to 20. Believe it or not, in 2020, we dropped to 19 degrees on Halloween. But in, in 2021, we didn't get the freezing until November 2nd. That was our second latest freeze. Our latest is still, I think, November 12th, 1903. But that was back in the 1800s when the Albany airport was, uh, when the Albany station was not at the airport in downtown. Any predict, early predictions for how this upcoming winter will be? Well, it's, it's looking, we're going to have an El Nino. We will already discuss that in detail. But um, the question is, is it going to be strong or very strong, a super El Nino? And we're right on the edge right now of both. Probably that will end up allowing us to have a mild winter. But I want to point out that we will have some very cold snaps probably. And we could have some very powerful storms producing very heavy snow. Now, it ultimately depends on the storm track. Will it go south of us? We might luck out or will we get clobbered? And uh, I've already gone on record saying it's going to be above normal snow. I'm, I'm dialing it back a little bit. I'm thinking we're going to get 65 to 70 inches at the airport for the entire winter, but that could come in several, just several storms, and they could be big ones. Again, there's a lot of other variables that go into it, but that's my, my guess right now. That uh, could be an interesting winter, but it will not be a really cold winter overall. So I know that we have lots of listeners down in Greene County because one of the radio stations down there always picks up your weather segments. How oh, much cool. of a difference is there between like Greene County and the Albany area for weather overall? Very good question, Brian. And, and, and it can't be answered really quickly, but you know, generally the, the elevation, it's further south, but elevations are generally higher. So sometimes they get a lot more snow and cold than we do. Other times that the storm track is, Further north, we might end up getting a little bit more. Uh, it just depends. Yeah, one, one day in December, about 10 years ago, it was 70 degrees in Hudson and in the 60s in Greene County, and we were sitting at 33, a very shallow, cold air mass mm. was stuck over us. So, again, it can vary quite a bit at times, usually not that much. But uh, And speaking of which, I'm going to throw something out. We're going to watch for – a storm, uh, there's going to be a little rain tonight, but then on Thursday night, Wednesday night to Thursday, uh, there could actually be a mixed bag of precipitation, and we could be maybe talking about some, are you ready for this? Freezing rain down in Green oh. County. Mm. Hopefully. 
hopefully it won't be a big deal. And fingers crossed, it should be light. But uh, freezing rain is something we never really want to deal with because that's just a mess. And there could be a little snow, too, uh, here in the, in the capital region. I'm thinking we're looking at a little sleet, a touch of snow, and then going to a cold rain on Thursday. But, uh, yeah, we got to keep an eye on that system for sure. Freezing rain is my absolute least favorite weather. I, I'll take snow well, it's any day. pretty much day. mine, too. Yeah. yeah. So Absolutely. speaking of snow, is it? do you think it's safe for me to go to Buffalo to for Christmas with my sister again? Because I got stuck there for five extra days last year with six feet of snow. Yeah, well, I'm not going to tell you that. I mean, chances are excellent you will not get a storm like that. But you could get snow. <laughs> One thing with El Nino, usually with a milder winter, usually there won't be quite as much intense lake effect because the air won't be as cold coming over the lake. But that said, I mean, I don't want to tell you that it's going to, you know, I, I mean, there could be snow in Buffalo, but I will strongly doubt you'll have anything like what you had last Christmas. I'll take a bet on that one. <laughs> well, hopefully you don't get stuck again in snow. Yeah. Uh, how about the uh, weather for this week? Any snow in our forecast? Well, like I said, Wednesday night, Thursday, there could be a little bit of a puffery, a little bit of snow, sleet, and freezing rain. Hopefully not a big deal. A little bit of rain tonight. It's breezy tomorrow, maybe a passing shower, 60, much cooler on Wednesday, 40s. And then the potential of wintry mix Wednesday night going into a cold rain on Thursday with ice in the 40s. Then the weekend looks good. High pressure built in. It's going to be chilly, 40s a day and, and 20s at night. And then some signals that next week we might have a pretty big warm-up, maybe back to the 50s or even 60s. We'll see. But the signals are pretty strong for that to happen next week. And, but until then, temperatures add or a little bit below normal, except for tomorrow, which will be slightly above normal. Thanks again, Hugh, for joining us. Hugh Johnson, our retired meteorologist. You got it. We look forward to talking with you next week. Indeed. Have a good one, folks. Thanks a lot, Hugh. And that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Bria Barthel, co-host and scriptwriter for this episode. And thanks, Bria. And I'm Kayla McPherson, your co-host and engineer for this episode. We want to thank all of our volunteers who made this episode possible. Other contributors to today's episode are Mark Dunley for most of the headlines and also segment one of the segment producers, Moses Nagel and Joe Ritchie for segment production, as well as Sina Bazilahiki for her segment, Hugh Johnson for our weekly look at climate and weather. And this program covers stories of social and environmental justice produced by the community for the community, supported by independent donations. If you value independent media, consider a gift of a one-time or monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to the donate button at mediasanctuary.org. We want to hear from you. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Hudson Mohawk Mag or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand and on your website at your favorite podcast platform. And thanks to you, our listeners, for making this all worthwhile.